This is Lesson 65 of Matthew, and we're uh, going to be finishing Chapter 22 of Matthew's Gospel today. Really, the end is in sight for the book of Matthew. I hope to wrap this up by September. (laughs) And then move on to Romans. The reason I'm moving on to Romans is is it's a book that I have not really covered in great detail. It's a book that Christians twist to their own detriment. And so I want you to all have a good understanding of this book. I want you to understand the book so that uh, so that you won't be frustrated when you hear some questions asked about the book. And you won't have to, you know, slander Shaul's name. But you'll understand the book and you'll have a reasonable answer for what Shaul said because Shaul was a Torah-observant Jew. He didn't eat pork. He didn't worship on Sunday. He kept the Sabbath and all of those things. And he didn't advise anyone else to do any of those things either. We can show that in the book of Romans. But that's for another day. Today is the, uh, that's for the fall. We're going to look at Yeshua today. And he's in the process of being questioned by the authorities in Jerusalem. And as we pointed out before, they suspect him of being a subversive. And they're trying to trap him. And I say they... Because there's an, old, there's an old saying you probably heard before. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's what we've seen here with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. They're enemies. And yet they've joined forces. And they're all working in concert to remove Yeshua from the scene. They're doing it by showing him to be, trying to show him to be ignorant, trying to embarrass him. They're trying to get him to commit heresy against God or treason against Rome so they can accuse him. However, with each time he sent them away with their tails between their legs, so to speak. And at the end, of course, we know the end because it's in their stubbornness of their hearts that they finally find another way to silence him. But that doesn't work either because his, he and his word goes out through all the world. So last week we saw Yeshua show the Sadducees from Scripture that there is indeed a resurrection. And in doing so, he showed their lack of understanding of the Torah, which was their sole source, so to speak, their authority. And last week, uh, this week we're going to see the Pharisees take another stab at Yeshua. Verse 34 of chapter 22 says, Hearing that Yeshua had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Now I said the Pharisees and the Sadducees are not friends. They disagree on things like the resurrection of the dead and angels and the Pharisees hold to the interpretive teachings of their fathers on Torah and the Sadducees, they hold to a very literal interpretation of Torah. So you'd think, wouldn't you? the Pharisees would have been happy to see that Yeshua had silenced their enemies. The Sadducees with the Torah, he had taken the Sadducees and with the Torah proving from a very literal interpretation of the Torah that there was a resurrection, showing their knowledge of Torah to be lacking. But instead of the Pharisees congratulating Yeshua and gloating over the victory, they returned to take another crack at tripping Yeshua up. 
And where it says one of them an expert in the law, that means he was more than likely a scribe. You see, they were really experts. They wrote copies of the Torah. That was what they did all day. And they had a great recall of the word of God. Think of this. If you were to go through the Torah, say twice a year, once a year, copying each and every letter, each and every word, think of what an expert you would be in five years or so. Your recall of the word of God would be almost perfect, if not perfect. And they also had to copy the other books of the Bible because remember, there's no printing presses. Every book must be meticulously copied by hand. And even though they knew the word, the Torah, so well, they still had to have a copy of the Torah right in front of them as they wrote to ensure accuracy. And not only that, after they were finished, a sofer would come and he would count each and every letter to ensure that it was complete and correct. Well, as you can imagine, after years of copying a book word for word, letter for letter, you would get to where you knew the word word for word and letter for letter. And so they were considered experts in the Torah. Maybe not so much in the traditional teachings like the rabbis, but if you had a question on the written Torah itself, these were the people with the answers. And so he comes to Yeshua and he asks this, in verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the Torah? Now, the question they come to him with is something you might not expect from an expert in the Torah because this is a very simple question, one that most people would be able to answer no problem. It's not even a difficult question to answer. And one you would have heard answered in the synagogues many times. What is the greatest commandment? It's simple. It was taught all the time. And it's simple because all the rest of the commandments really stem from this one. They hang on this one. And so Yeshua, of course, responds accordingly. He says in verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So what does Yeshua answer with? He answers with the Shema. From Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Matthew in his telling leaves out the hero Israel part more than likely because his Jewish audience would automatically insert that. Everyone would know it because besides being in Deuteronomy, as we all know, it's part of the daily liturgy. They said it twice a day. It's the foundation of the faith. So important, understand that so important is this one sentence. That if you don't have this one sentence, this commandment, right, and have it in your heart, then your chances of keeping the rest of the commandments is minuscule. You see, it's not so much a commandment as it is a condition of your heart. You cannot be commanded to love. Love is something that stems from your heart. And if you love, it drives you to have your love return to you. You'll do things that show your love. You'll care so much for how the one you love feels that you'll do things that please and cause the one you love to love you. So to say you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart is not something that can be commanded. It's a condition of your heart. You see, it's more of a statement 
than a commandment. It's a command in the sense that if you don't love him with all your heart, you're going to have some serious problems. But understand, love is a condition of your heart. If you love the Lord, you'll do the things he asks, not because it's law and because you fear the consequences, but you'll do them because you love him and you want to please the one you love. If you don't love the Lord, you probably won't have much regard for what he says and you could care less for how he feels, right? If you do not do them from the heart, your chances of keeping the commands of God are not very good. This is the simplest of concepts. If you keep a command because it's an edict, then it's law to you. Let me give you an example. If I'm driving down the road in my little roadster and the speed limit says 55 miles an hour and it's a nice curvy road, I'll tell you what, it's not on my heart to do 55. If I had my way, I'd be doing 80 or 100. But I drive 55, not because I, I, I want to, but because I don't like the consequences if I get caught driving 80 or 100. That's law. And I follow it for that reason. But if I know sir, for certain that there's no police down the road ahead, I might just go up to 80 or 100. Now think of this. If I have a baby in the car, if I have someone I love in the car, I may only drive 50. Not because of the speed limit. It, 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 speed limit uh, dictates that, but out of love that I have for the child, not wanting anything to happen to it. You see, now I'm driving 50 out of my love, out of my concern for one I love. I'm driving 50 from the heart, not because I have to, well, that's the simplest way I can think of to explain it, but it's the same with all the commands. As an example, again, before I came to the knowledge of the Lord and I, I love the Lord, shrimp scampi, lobster bisque, and barbecued baby back ribs were some of my favorite foods. I loved them. All that changed when I read God's instructions to his people Israel and I realized that I was now part of Israel. After reading and realizing that those things were not food for his people, I no longer ate those things. And I want you to understand that it wasn't, I don't eat unclean animals because I fear the consequences because personally, if you really nail me down, I don't think the consequence, I think the consequences for such a thing would be small. I certainly don't think they'd keep me from the kingdom of heaven because Yeshua tells me that. But I don't eat them because I love the Lord. And he instructed his people not to eat the unclean things. And I want to do things that bless him and honor him. Amen? It has another benefit as well. Not eating anything unclean as he has an added benefit of reminding me three times a day whose kingdom I'm a part of. And the point is this, the command kept out of the heart and love is not a command at all. But I do it because of my love for the one who saved me and my desire to be like him in every way right down to the things he ate. So, and then it says, with all your soul. 
And I put this word up on the screen today. It means soul. And then if you look down below to 1A, it says, that which breathes, the breathing substance or being, soul, the inner being of a man. And if you really want to understand soul, you have to go to the book of Genesis chapter 2. In verse 7 it says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Nephesh. So God breathes into Adam and he becomes a living soul. And if we go to the story of Abraham now, we find something else about soul. Chapter 25, verse 7. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. An old man, full of his years, he was gathered to his people. So what I want you to see here is your soul is your life. It's what animates you. It's the breath of your nostrils. And as long as you breathe, you're a living soul. And you're able to affect the direction in your life. Once you stop breathing, you can no longer affect the world. You can no longer choose the direction of your life. Your soul is all that you are in this life. It starts with your first breath you take and it ends with the last breath you take. The soul is breathed into you by God and once breathed into you, you, you live in this present age until you breathe your last and then your body is no longer animated. You can no longer affect anything in this present evil age. You can no longer affect who you are or what you are. Your opportunity for that is over. As you fall, so shall you lie. Forever. However, you continue after you cease to breathe, just not in this world. But what you do while you're here is who you will forever be. Who you forever are. All you are or ever be, will be is determined by what you do in this life. Your soul, your, this is the seed of all you are. You'll never be more than what you are in this life. And so Yeshua and the Shema are both saying, love the Lord your God with all of this life, with every breath you take, with every move you make, with all your strength. And then he says, the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, well, why would the second be like the first? Because you got to get this or you're not going to get what Yeshua says next. Well, first, remember who he's speaking to here. He's speaking to fellow Israelites, as we said in the commentary. They were the people of God. They were to be examples of God and his kingdom. It means that we as the people of God are to be images of our creator. The commands of God were to work a transformation in our lives that would lead us to be greater images of our God, greater images of the Messiah Yeshua, if they were done from the heart. They do exactly that too. So if that is who and what, and if you are, and if you are in the image of God and I don't love you, how is it that I love God? Simple, right? If I don't love you and you're in the image of God, then I don't love God. Remember this because Yeshua is going to play on this one fact when he goes into his 
question that he's going to ask the Pharisees next. And it's a lesson for us as well as you go from here and interact with your brother. If you do not love one in the image of God, how can you say that you love God? So Yeshua says, and finally he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, Yeshua says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two. And if you hear many people in churches say that Yeshua is doing away with the Torah over here, and all we have to do is just keep these two commandments and everything's going to be good, right? Well, that's a half-truth. It's true in a sense, but it's only a half-truth. It's not the proper understanding. What Yeshua is saying is that you can divide, just as you can divide the Ten Commandments into two sections, one concerning loving the Lord your God and the other concerning loving your fellow man, so can you do all the commandments. They all have to do with loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor. They all fit into one of these two categories. Another way of looking at it is this. All the rest of the commandments tell you how to do these two. I mean, if you steal from your neighbor, obviously you don't love your neighbor. If you make an idol and you bow down to it, obviously you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So Yeshua has answered their question and now he's going to turn the tables on them and he's going to ask them a question. And if you're going to understand the full impact of what Yeshua's words are to these men, you not only have to keep this answer in mind, but you really have to go back in this chapter, in chapter 21, to the parables. Because they have knowledge of all of this as he asks this question, and we're going to do that, but first I want to read what he says in verse 41, or what is said. When the Pharisees were gathered together, they asked, Yeshua asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. You see, Yeshua asked them, whose son is the, whose son is the Messiah? And the Pharisees, uh, in general, thought that it would be the son of David, and that's their answer. I don't know that it was exclusive. Not everybody thought he was going to be a son of David, because if you look in 135 Common Era, Rabbi Akiva will proclaim Bar Kokhba to be the Messiah, and he wasn't a descendant of David, so obviously not everybody believed that. But this is the thought of most. And next, Yeshua will quote them a verse from Psalm 110, and again, at this time, many people thought this referred to the Messiah. Some didn't. Matthew 43, or 22, 43 says, and he said to them, this is, how is it then David, by speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord. For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now I said some because not everybody believed that this was about the Messiah and we can see this if we look at the Targum. The Targum reads this way. The Lord said in his decree to make me Lord of all Israel, but he said to me, wait still for Saul of the tribe of Benjamin to die, for one must not for one rain must not encroach on another, and afterwards I will make your enemies a prop for your feet. And so the writers of the Targum reading this, they thought it referred to David and Saul, and it's easy to understand why, and it's because of the very point Yeshua will make. How can David call his son Lord? No father calls his son Lord. Quite the opposite. The son calls the father Lord. 
So the natural, if you're thinking of this and you don't understand what it is, you're going to look for someone else. Enter Saul. That's what the rabbis who wrote this Targums thought. However, there's a lot of evidence to show that others thought it referred to the Messiah, and I'm going to read a couple of those. One is in a midrash on Tamar and Judah, the story of Tamar and Judah in Genesis chapter 38. And it reads this way. He said, what pledge shall I give thee? And she said, thy signet, thy cord, and thy staff that is in thy hand. Rabbi Huniah said, a Holy Spirit was kindled within her. Thy staff alludes to the royal Messiah, as in the verse, the staff of thy strength of the Lord will send out from Zion, Psalm 110, verse 2. And so it was obvious that Rabbi Hunia thought that that psalm referred to Messiah. Also, and if we look at Sephorno in the arts girl Tehalim, he says this, the psalm is a fervent prayer, then certainly Hashem dedicated the, it to the future King Messiah. He is on God's right hand and the ministering angels are on the left. The armies of Gog and Magog will attack, but Hashem will subdue them until they come crawling to, Messiah, to the feet of Messiah. And so Sephorno has it right. And if we read Psalm 110, we can see why he would write this way. Listen to what it says. I want you to read the, want the whole thing in our minds as we go forward. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion and you will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush the kings on the day of his wrath. And he will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And so we can see why Sephorno would have thought what he thought. But, you know, our New Covenant writers quote Psalm 10, referring to the Messiah many times. The book of Acts, three times. Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, 1 Peter and Revelation all quote it once. And the book of Hebrews quotes it a whopping 15 times because they all knew it referred to the Messiah. Now the other interesting thing before we move on is that Matthew records something the others don't, other gospels don't. It's, he records this. He says, how is it then that David speaking by the Spirit calls him Lord? What does David mean what does Yeshua mean by speaking by the Spirit? Well, he's saying that David was a prophet. The Psalms were given to him by the Spirit of God. Not too hard to understand, right? The amazing thing here is that he's not questioned about these statements by the Pharisees, so they must have too thought David was a prophet. David, as we all know, was a musician. And if you look in Scripture, you're going to find that prophets, prophets prophesied to music. Prophets were often musicians. It's what makes worship services so valuable and the reason we all need to join in as a community. But notice he says then, how is it David said, by speaking by the Spirit, he calls, his, calls him Lord. He calls his son, his Messiah, Lord. And he added, it was, he added such, with such authority that 
Yeshua said next, it says that no one could say a word in reply. It added so much authority to what he said that David received this by the Spirit, that it added so much authority that no one could say a word in reply. Listen to what verse 45 says. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? How can David call his son Lord if his son wasn't greater than he and did not come before him? The only answer is that David's son was before him. Not only David's, he's not only David's son, but he's the son of God. And my, the question I have here is that the Pharisees, hearing this, didn't have a word to reply. They couldn't say a word in reply. And so my question is, what in the world is wrong with the Hebrew Roots Movement? Who are trying to put forth that Yeshua, some of them are trying to put forth that Yeshua is not the Son of God, he's just a man. Or another group who wants to tell, the, or, tell us that the Orthodox Jewish people, they don't need a Messiah. They have a covenant all on their own. They worship God and keep Torah better than we do. You see, what these two groups both deny is what we've learned here in these parables, what we've studied in the last two or three weeks. Look at what Yeshua taught these men in the last two or three weeks that we've covered. First, the tenants in the vineyard. The tenants of the vineyard. They mistreat the servants of the Lord who were sent to gather what was due him. But not just the servants, they reject the son. They put him to death. The parable of the wedding banquet, much the same, only in this parable they don't kill him, they just reject him and do not honor him by coming to the wedding banquet. What Yeshua is telling us in these parables and this today is staggering in its ramifications for those who don't accept Yeshua as Messiah. It is the point of what he's trying to convey to the Pharisees this day. And we're going to find out what it is by looking at a few more verses. First, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 1. And verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Yeshua is the exact, exact representation of the Father. In other words, if you've seen him, if you've listened to him, you've seen, you've heard the Father. And Yeshua will tell us the same thing. Yeshua said, the greatest command is love the Lord your God, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he tells us that because you and your neighbor are both made in the image of God, no matter where you are on your journey to becoming like him, no matter where you are in that journey, you are in some measure in the image of Yeshua, of God. And if I don't love you, then I don't love the Father either. Well, here the writer of Hebrews tells us Yeshua is the exact image of God. He was the exact image of the Father, and if you don't love him, you don't love the Father. 
John in his gospel tells us something else about Yeshua over and over. He wants to make sure we know this one thing. John in his gospel says this. And Yeshua answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even I've been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. Yeshua tells us that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And not only that, if we back up just a few verses from there, verse 6 of chapter 14, he says, Yeshua answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Yeshua tells his disciples he's the way, the truth, and the life and you don't get to the Father except through him. And because they had seen him, Yeshua, because they know Yeshua, they've also seen the Father. Dear ones, if you reject Yeshua, you reject the Father. If you love Yeshua, it stands that you will love the Father. You can't reject one and not the other. Listen to what he says in John chapter 15, verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. They would not be guilty of sin, excuse me. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now... They have seen these miracles and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fill what is written of the law. They hated me without reason. Here is what these people, these Pharisees have missed and many of our day miss as well. And it is what Yeshua made plain in these parables and the sayings we looked at today. If you reject the son, you reject the father as well. Rejection of the Son is rejection of the Father. This because there's no difference in them. Yeshua were told, taught the words of the Father. He did not teach on his own, but it was the Father teaching in him. If you reject the words of the Master, you reject the words of God. If you reject the Master, you have rejected God. There's no difference. How can you say you love the Father when his exact representation was witness to you and you rejected him? How can you say you love the word of God when the word of God spoke to you and you rejected that word? There's an old adage that holds true for some of these people, particularly in the Hebrew Roots movement today. You can be too smart for your own good. Anytime You take what you've learned in this world and put it ahead of what the Bible says. You're too smart for your own good. We have a lot of people who are too smart for their own good. Amen? Listen to these words again. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Sadly, instead of going away, and living their lives for Yeshua, they go away and their lives were so important to them 
Their teachings were so important to them. Their wealth so important to them. Their knowledge so important to them that they reject Yeshua. And not just Yeshua, but they reject the Father as well. Don't let anything in your life get so important. Amen?